If loving the 2000s pop charts with all my heart's a crime, then I'm guilty. Welcome to the 2000s chart show. The 2000s chart show. The 2000s chart show. That's right, another week, another 40 classic songs from the 2000s on the 2000s Chart Show, the podcast where every week we are reliving the UK Top 40 from 20 years ago. I'm your host, Samuel Spencer, and we have another huge week in 2003 chartage. Another 15 new entries, including some of the biggest stars of 2003, Daniel Bedingfield, Liberty X, Hilary Duff, Blue, and my queen, Stacey Orico. So a huge show for you this week. So let's get into it. That song you heard at the beginning is, of course, Are You Ready For Love by Elton John, a former number one that has had now 18 total weeks on the chart across 1979 and 2003. Saw in 2023 this week that Elton John put a message out to Madonna on his Instagram, thanking her for the actually very moving tribute to those that were lost to HIV AIDS during her celebrations tour. Very glad to see these two have buried the hatchet, even if Elton John could be relied upon to supply a brilliant bitchy quote about Madonna. What would your advice be to Madonna this year? Make sure you lip sync good. <laughs> Whenever he was asked. So I kind of miss that days, but it's nice when our, our divas get along, isn't it? So I'm glad they've buried the hatchet and we're, but our hatchet must, does that make sense? No, okay, move on, 39, <laughs> with no segue. Pretty Green Eyes by Ultra Beat. That is in its 12th week and down from 31. At 38, Someday by Nickelback. just about to leave the chart after six weeks on the chart and at 37 is our first new entry of the 15 that we have to talk about this week and it is Cheryl Crow with The First Cut is the Deepest. Of course, this is a song with a long and storied history. 
on the UK pop charts, originally written by Cat Stevens. And first hit the UK charts in May 1967 when P.P. Arnold got it to number 18. But it is the Rod Stewart version that has done the best on the chart so far. That was a number one hit back in February 1977. Obviously a lot of fans of voices that sound like sandpaper in February 1977. The first cut is the deepest, is how I imagine that sounds. But they aren't the only famous covers of the first cut is the deepest. There was also a 1995 reggae version released by Swedish musician Papa D. Which wouldn't be notable in pop music at all were it not one of the first production credits of Max Martin, who would, the year after that, find fame working on the Backstreet Boys album and, of course, would go on to produce such hits as Baby One More Time, I Want It That Way, Teenage Dream, Bad Blood, Raw, Can't Stop the Feeling. Basically, every pop song that you know and love began with Papa D's First Cut is the Deepest. And now we have Sheryl Crow's version. This is the first single from her Greatest Hits collection in 2003. And over the years, there have been a few great songs that have been the new track on Greatest Hits collections. Obviously, Something New by Girls Aloud, Justify My Love by Madonna, Easy by Sugar Babes. That's one of my personal favourites. But let's be honest, that can sometimes be a bit of a dumping ground for songs that they've just had lying around for years and then they're like, oh, fuck it, that'll do for the greatest hits. And so obviously I'm not saying that Sheryl Crow has done that, but I am also saying that releasing a cover is the ultimate lazy move, so I feel that Sheryl Crow may not have been fully invested in her greatest hits collection. And so obviously the first cut to the deepest, however, is a song that has endured the test of time. Many great artists have had a go at it. But, you know, I do quite a lot of cooking, not to brag, and I'm pretty sure the first cut is the deepest is not how cuts work. Like, you do a shallow cut as a guide, and then you do the deep cut. So in fact, the first cut is the shallowest. It's clear that Cat Stevens had never chopped up a butternut squash. But this has not stopped Sheryl Crow getting her last top 40 single. That is the last of 16 top 40 singles that the American country singer has got. Her peak in the chart was in November 1994, when her song All I Wanna Do got to number four. Cause all I wanna do is have some And to kind of tie it back into 2003, in a few weeks, Amy Stutt will release her slightly underrated cover of All I Want to Do onto these charts. So all of these things are connected, and that's why this is such fun to do. But as I said, this is the last top 40 for Sheryl Crow on the UK charts. Although 2023 has been a fairly big year for her because she has now joined the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame alongside Kate Bush, Missy Elliott, George Michael, Willie Nelson, Rage Against the Machine and The Spinners. Now, I'm not saying that she feels out of place on that list, but what I will say is it says a lot about how much America fetishizes country music that Shell Crow is right there alongside Kate Bush, I think. Whenever you are listening to this podcast and you think, God, these charts are getting a bit shit, just think, at least we're not like America with a chart completely clogged by bad country music. That's something to be thankful for. If that won't make you proud to be British, nothing will.
What doesn't make me proud to be British, however, is the fact that the British chart-buying public have let the 2003 remix of Ola Moore by Erasure drop from number 13 to number 36 in its second week on the chart. Towards the end of the 30s there are three new entries so let's quickly run through what's returning from last week at 35 under the thumb by Amy Stutt that is down from 23 in its fourth week 34 down from 19 David Guetta's Just a Little More Love 33 Innocent Eyes in its fifth week down from 27 and 32 a new entry and a soon-to-be x-factor classic Cannonball by Damien Rice. thinking oh yeah Damien Rice what happened to him well it seems to be a classic case of just deciding that he just didn't really like being famous and so stopped doing it even in 2003 there was some sense that he was already not really prepared for the fame that Cannonball would soon give him this is from an interview with the Guardian at the time describing his appearance Rice himself is wearing a tattered charity shop jacket. His equally tattered jeans are held up by what appears to be various lengths of discarded rope. His haircut is downright bizarre. A sort of malnourished, droopy Mohican that looks suspiciously like he cut it himself. This, it later transpires, is because he cut it himself. Removing his mop of Byronic curls as a protest against his record company over promoting his debut album O. At one stage, I had half my head shaved and half long he confined. I was going to leave it like that. Yes, that is Damien Mice getting angry that his album was over-promoted. Those bastards promoting your album so people listen to it. Oh god, they need to be stopped. Villains. Yeah, he really was not a fan of the music industry conveyor belt. This all apparently came from previous to being a solo artist when he was the lead singer of a band called Juniper, which he then left because he said that he did not get any freedom. He had record companies coming into the studio and asking him to be a bit more radio friendly. I just ended up fighting with everyone and being really unhappy with myself. He then left his native island and headed for Tuscany where he planned to quote, Plant vegetables, farm, paint, whatever. After a while, I started to get the itch back for music again. I felt sucked back in, seduced. It was like going back to a woman who beats you or something. So then he did the classic, most annoying thing you can do as a singer-songwriter. He became a busker. Sorry, buskers out there, but you are annoying and 
self-righteous. He specifically apparently occasionally performed alongside a man in a red rabbit suit who played somewhere over the rainbow on a ukulele. He says, I threw everything away and I was happier than I've ever been. So independent, so free. I jumped in a van with two hippie friends, went around Scotland, England, Germany, France, Spain, Italy, Holland. It was brilliant. However, he just could not stop being famous. At this time, he was developing a lot of celebrity fans, apparently, one of which was Britney Spears, who went to see him in LA with her then boyfriend, Colin Farrell. But apparently, they really pissed off Damon Rice because they talked all the way through his set, leading him to describe Britney Spears as a pain in the ass. So basically, at every opportunity, he's trying to sabotage his own career but the song Cannibal is kind of unavoidable and he can't really stop it doing well. It has a very strange chart run, however. So this week it is at number 32 and it's going to drop out of the chart to 57 next week. But then in July 2004, it has a four-week run, which goes 19, 24, 27, 27. Then it drops out of the chart. Two weeks later, comes back in at number 40. And then seven years later, it has another three weeks on the chart, reaching a peak of nine, eight years after it was released. This is because of a particularly viral X Factor audition version of it. Because it's not hard to fall when you know that you just don't know. And of course, later that year, it would become the winner single from The X Factor as performed by Little Mix. So it's not hard to fall when you feel like you can't In what is one of the worst combinations of song and artists if you really wanted to launch a girl band it's almost a miracle really that little mix became as big as they were when their first song was a version of cannonball completely ill-suited for their talents so damien rice basically moments away from having a menti b about the music industry but he will still manage to get five uk top 40s before he gets his wish and becomes irrelevant again keep your ears out for those but for now we will give him his wish and not give him any attention and go on to our next new entry at 31 super furry animals with hello sunshine Big thing to know about this song is that Super Furry Animals were offered a seven-figure payout if they used this song in a Coca-Cola advert, but the band refused. Here is what Gruff Reese, the lead singer, said in a article for the magazine Red Pepper. And I'll just point out that Gruff Reese is Welsh before I launch into what is sure to be another stellar accent. A knock on the door in Limberto Carranza, a union rep in his 50s, is ushered in. His quiet testimony moves us like no other. It's about to get... Um, quite serious so maybe I'll stop the comedy Welsh accent he's worked for Coca-Cola for over 25 years and as conditions worsened he joined the Sinaltrainal Trade Union from that day onwards he and his family were targeted by paramilitaries employed by the bottling plant manager his 15 year old son was beaten close to death and thrown in a river he was forced to send his psychologically scarred children to live with relatives far away from home and now barely sees them at this point Limberto burst into tears much to his own embarrassment he couldn't apologise enough afterwards in this most macho of countries and so basically after they had that experience they decided that they could not in any conscience take money from Coca-Cola they said we thought 
long and hard. We have never been a big selling band, but when it came to the crunch, we felt we couldn't justify endorsing a project that may have had a part in violently suppressing some of its workers. For a moment, sitting in the Sinaltronol office, I thought that we could have done the advert and donated the money for their campaign for justice. Yet the thought of having to hear our song used to sell anything that exploits anyone for the worst turns my stomach. I have to say, that doesn't make the Diet Coke that I'm literally drinking as I record this podcast go down particularly well but good on the Super Furry Animals for having principles but they were so intent on fighting for justice that they may have half-assed certain other parts of this song so the track begins with a sample of the song By the Sea by a teenage sibling duo called Wendy and Bonnie from the late 60s their Wikipedia says the decision to begin the track with a snippet of this song came about due to laziness on the band's part they had originally conceived it as a duet but they never got around to getting anyone to sing it and so they just used that sample. So it's ironic that the Super Furry Animals' next single is called The Man Don't Give a Fuck because they most certainly did not give a fuck there. As the kids might say, the Super Furry Animals are winning the Idgaf Wars with this song. But they did not half ass the lyrics. One of the verses reads, I'm a minger, you're a minger too. So come on, Minga, I want to Ming with you. It felt that 2003 was like peak Minga, the the use of that word. But apparently its usage goes back to the 1970s. It originally was a Scottish slang for bad, stinking, or more generally unpleasant or foul, but also used as a euphemism for being very drunk. So the first use of the word minging labelled in the OED is from 1970. From the Scottish Daily Express, they say they were minging or pissed the state before complete drunkenness. And then the first use of minging meaning to smell bad, or in fact anything bad, more generally comes from 1985, in which a writer explains minging means stinking, but can also be used to describe anything bad. And so, yeah, something that I think is incredibly 2000s, the word minger, has at least a three-decade history before that. Don't think anything is original, basically. And so the super furry animals are mingers who want to ming with you, but unfortunately we won't be minging with them on the UK Top 40 for much longer. This is the 17th of their 19 UK Top 40s, so only two left to go. 19 Top 40s there, but no UK Top 10s, making them officially the band with the most Top 40s who never reached the Top 10. I think we already said that fact when their last single, Golden Retriever, came out, but honestly, great chart facts bear repeating, so I could not resist that one. And our survey of the obscure indie hits of 2003 continues. We go from Damien Rice to the Super Furry Animals to At 30, a new entry from who were a band that were then known as British Sea Power, now known as just Sea Power, with their song Remember Me. Enemy said, let us sail into the enchanted harbour of Indy, where British Sea Power take time off from their not tying classes to re-release Remember Me and prove once again that their blustery but fundamentally quite mundane records aren't anywhere near as interesting as their interviews. So a harsh review from Enemy, but they definitely know what they're talking about because Enemy has an absolutely cracking interview with British Sea Power around this time. When we last talked about them for their song Carry On, I said they didn't really do much for me, but reading this interview, I think I love them a lot more. I certainly would like to spend some time hanging out with this band. Here's the opening of the piece. In the puke-splattered world of rock and roll, Enemy isn't often required to use the skills we learned at Cub Scouts. Then again, we've never before received a written invitation to interview British Sea Power, 
sent via email from the band's secretary. They provided us with an ordnance survey map reference in order to inform us where today's interview will be held. So they've got the enemy journalists to get into a bit of orienteering to find where they're doing the interview. Here's what the band were up to when the enemy journalists found them. Guitarist Noble is tinking away on the church organ while lead singer Jan stretches out on the glass chain-smoking roll-up after roll-up after roll-up. Elsewhere, Hamilton, bass, is sipping neat whiskey while Eamon keyboards and wood drums are busy with binoculars scouting the Sussex skies for rare birds. This interview came after they'd had quite an eccentric series of tour dates. They did a gig in the Silly Isles where one of them stole a pool cue, which was the first theft reported in the Silly Isles for 30 years. Apparently at the Truck Festival in 2003, they took so many drugs that they ended up, and this is from Enemy, stroking and kissing cows. And then they invented their own Kendall Mint Cake, which apparently, according to a member of the band The Music, was a perfect weed substitute. Also at every one of their tour dates, they like to cover the stage with twigs and branches. Apparently when they were in New York, their manager got attacked while collecting foliage. This guy was threatening to kill him. It was pretty scary. The authorities even complained to the venue saying, we've had a lot of bands here with drug problems, but never one with a tree problem. Apparently at that same gig, they weren't given a cut-off time for their set, so they made the last song go for 40 minutes and just ended up with them making a load of bird noises. They say a lot of people who wouldn't normally be allowed anywhere near a stage seem to have a chance at our gigs. So yeah, British Sea Power, that seems like more fun than going on tour with Atomic Kitten might be, you know. They probably just get drunk on Lambrini and asleep by 10, whereas British Sea Power, you might get arrested for stealing a pool cue or arrested for collecting a load of leaves or doing a bird call solo for 40 minutes. All some of my favourite things. British Sea Power, we'll have a little bit more chance to speak about them. This is the second of their five top 40 hits and their chart peak will be their next single, the excellently named It Ended on an Oily Stage. So many of my relationships have ended on an oily stage, uh, but you can listen to the Patreon content for that. We don't have a Patreon yet, but that will be the first episode if we ever do. So British Sea Power at 30... And at 29, in its third week, down from 20, Carnival Girl by Texas featuring Cardinal Official. A new entry from Daniel Beddingfield with the, shall we say, eccentric song Friday. This song really gives blank check vibes. It's like, okay, if you have three number one singles with Got to Get Through This, if you're not the one and never going to leave your side, then you can release whatever the fuck you like as your fifth single. And certainly critics weren't kind to the song Friday. Brian Dowling in Smash Hits gave it two Dowling heads and said, I like Daniel, but I can't believe this is the sixth song off the album. It's just a filler while he finishes the new one. I think Daniel should stick to ballads. Can we stop now? It hurts. Whereas Smash Hits said, we want new stuff too, but this is cool for now. If by cool you mean totally deranged and totally deranged is a perfect description for daniel benningfield at this time well known for being what top of the pops called the maddest man in pop among the people talking about how 
insane Daniel Benningfield seemed to be was soon to be Fame Academy winner Alex Parks after Daniel Benningfield appeared on Fame Academy she said the boy needs to be sedated he's a nice guy and it was very flattering when he said I should win but he is a bit of a mad excitable character in an interview with Top of the Pops magazine where they asked him are you really the maddest man in pop he said no I'm not but I think I might be one of the most eccentric I have no interest in being dull and boring and yet you released the song if you're not the one fascinating. They ask him, have you got any tattoos or piercings? He says, no, I don't. Mmm, girls with tattoos. I love bum tattoos. The ones right in the middle are insanely attractive. They're really nice. Now, I guess he means like a tramp stamp, but if you say one right in the middle of the bum, I'm assuming that Daniel Benningfield is sexually attracted to arsehole tattoos. And if he is, good for him. We don't judge here unless you release bad indie and then we'll judge you for 20 minutes. Also, weirdly, Daniel Benefield slags off his own album in this Top of the Pops interview. They say, what are your hopes for next year? He says, I would like to make a truly good album, which is, I think, unlikely. I don't consider my first album a great record, but the second one is a lot better. The British chart buying public didn't really agree, in a way that we will get into in the coming months. In Enemy, meanwhile, he offers one of the weirdest jokes... <laughs> of all time. He asked them, how many Daniel Bedding films does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer he gives is, none, they can cook in the dark. This led to Enemy writing editor's note, we have no idea what this means, sorry. And I too have no idea what Daniel Benningfield is talking about there. Enemy also decided to ask Daniel Benningfield was which of the multiples of 100,000 records that he'd sold was his favourite. And he chose 10 by 100,000 and said, When I sold 1 million records, I got to speak to Enemy for this interview and I knew that the hair on my chest meant something. To which the editor writes in brackets, question mark, question mark. He says, Enemy's been strangely behind me. You're like the school bully who has decided not to pick on me. His second favourite multiple of 100,000 is three times 100,000. With your 300,000, you know you're not going to be dropped and you won't have to eat Tesco Value toast out of a broken toaster that only cooks one side for two minutes because that's all, all the electricity you can afford. In case you're wondering, then in order of... 100,000 he sold, his favourites were 5 times 100,000, 9 times 100,000, 4 times 100,000, 6 times 100,000, 1 times 100,000, 8 times 100,000, 7 times 100,000, and his least favourite is 2 times 100,000, with him saying, it's completely insequential, I mean, who can remember being 2 years old? Who indeed? So that's Daniel Beddingfield there, leading us out of the 30s and into the 20s. At 27 now, we have Right There with Chingy, everyone's favourite mumbling rhymer. At 26, we have World Filled With Love by Craig David. And at 25, a former number one in its 13th week on the chart. So over three months for Blue Cantrell featuring Sean Paul with Breathe. Good time daily. Why you trying to pose? I can't be acting shady. You're only lonely when your homie ain't got a ride. 
And with that number one, let's look at some of the big songs that are hoping to get to the same place that Breathe managed to, that all-important number one spot. Last week, Hole in the Head by the Sugar Babes broke the Black Eyed Peas six-week chart run, but there are plenty of big songs who will be trying to keep the Sugar Babes at that one week on the top. Prime among them is the band Blue. Loving you with all my heart's Simon, Duncan, Lee, and a man who it seems is currently starring in the O2 Arena production of Mamma Mia! The Party, Anthony. I saw a poster of him on the tube. You can look on our Instagram for that. They have, at this point in 2003, had two number one albums with All Rise and One Love, and three number ones with Too Close, everyone's favourite song about coming in your pants. If You Come Back, everyone's favourite song with Lee Ryan squealing, and Sorry seems to be the hardest word. Their duet with Elton John, one of Elton John's 10 totally bizarre number ones. This is the first track from their third album, Guilty, called, you've guessed it, Guilty. Their previous debut singles from each album got to number four and number three. So they'll be hoping to get to number two or at least number one to continue moving upwards in the world. But they will also have to face the intimidating enemy that is Hilary Duff with So Yesterday. A song that I'd always assumed was in character as Lizzie McGuire, but it seems it isn't. It is Hilary Duff working with the producer The Matrix, who just had a lot of success with Avril Lavigne. So it's bringing a slightly rockier edge, as much of a rockier edge as Hilary Duff could have. Hilary Duff as yet had not had any singles chart in the UK. So she will be hoping that all of those Lizzie McGuire fans are feverishly buying copies of this song, So Yesterday. One of my guilty pleasures, I have to say. She's just a bird who's already flown away. Also gunning for that number one spot are Liberty X. Kelly, Michelle, Jessica, Tony, the other one, are back. They've had one number one so far with the song Just A Little in May 2002. And the first track from their second album, Being Somebody, was the incredible Richard X collab, Being Nobody. That got to number three, and so they'll be trying to match that with their song Jumpin', a song that's jumped so hard that it's hurt itself and its G has fallen off. That one's a word one. Think about it a little bit. Our last major contender for the top 10 is a little known rapper, but one that had big backing at the time. He was Eminem's protege. His name is Obi Trice. He got a shout out in the Eminem song, Without Me. Obi Trice, real name, no gimmicks. But will this be enough for his debut single, Got Some Teeth, to get to number one? Well, we will find out as we head into that top 10. But for now, at 24, here is in its eighth week on the charts. They're doing incredibly well. Baby Boy with Big Brothers. with baby boy and with that let's head out of the 20s with three returning tracks at 23 in its fourth week sundown by s club 8 22 down from seven that's a disappointing 
drop for a underrated song, Mixed Up World by Sophie Ellis-Bexter. And at 21, down from 8, so a bad drop, but typical of the kind you see with cult bands. All of their fans buy in the first week and then it kind of tails off. Bad Day by R.E.M. into our top 20 with another three new entries in a row starting with I Can't Let You Go by Ian Van Dahl Ian Van Dyle, of course, best known for their Eurotrance classic Castles in the Sky. A number three hit in July 2001. But that actually has a different singer to this song from Ian Van Dyle. Castles in the Sky was sung by a woman called Martine Thuren. These Belgian names are going to be pronounced perfectly. So she did Castles in the Sky. And then the band toured with a woman called Cindy Mertens, who did all of the live performances of Castles in the Sky. And then later in 2001, she was replaced by Annemie Koenen, who would become the lead singer of Ian Van Dahl, including in that song you just heard. What you will have noticed is that none of those women have the name Ian Van Dahl. Now, I might be an idiot, but I'd always assumed, because if you look at the single covers for Ian Van Dahl songs, it just has this very austere-looking blonde Scandinavian woman, I just assumed that she was called Ian Van Dahl. And that Ian was just a common Belgian woman's name, and I just had to put that down to geographical distances. But no, in fact, there is no Ian Van Dahl, because that's actually the name of the band, which is a collaboration between Belgian DJs Christoph Chantzis and Eric Van Spouwen, or Van Spouwen, perhaps, and the singer Annemie Koenen. The name Ian Van Dahl comes from, apparently, a mix of the names Ruldahl and the, I think, Dutch name for an average Joe, which is Jan Van Dahl. So it's Jan Van Dahl, perhaps. A bizarre name. Uh, even hearing the explanation of it, not really any clearer. But that hasn't stopped Jan Van Dahl from getting a number 20 hit here. A, obviously, charting less well than Castles in the Sky. And in fact, Ian or Jan Van Dahl's chart run is quite notable in an unfortunate way because every song that they released charted worse than the last one. So a real slide downwards. Castles in the Sky, number three. In December 2001, their song Will I got to number five. And then Reason got to number eight in May 2002. Try, number 15 in October 2002. And now, I Can't Let You Go here. 
here at number 20. And not to jump ahead too far, but this trend is set to continue with their final UK Top 40, which will be released in July 2004. So a band there not quite at the peak of their chart run. And also Brian Dowling, the this week's Smash Hits reviewer, gave this one Dowling head, said, I love Castles in the Sky, but all these dance tracks sound the same to me. At least this one has lyrics, but the words don't make much sense. Smash Hit says, Bry's right, bring back the sing-along ability. So they are certainly not fans of that. And at 19 is another new entry, which Brian Dowling gave one out of five. He said of this song, I don't know what it is, but this just doesn't do anything for me. I'm not a name of the artist fan. I think she's overrated and I don't like this at all. It's boring. And Smash Hit's take was, with Jamelia storming the charts, this person needs something catchier than this. What song was it that had let down Smash Hits and Brian Dowling so thoroughly? It was Ashanti with Rain On Me. Shanti there with a chart placement that suggests her popularity may be on the way in her first song Always On Time, the classic collab with Ja Rule, got to number six in February 2002. She had two number four singles with What's Love, her duet with Fat Joe and her own Foolish and then a number 13 with Happy, 12 Mesmerise, a brief respite from those teens when her song Rock With You got to number seven earlier this year, we talked about it, but now at number 19. However, she still plays some part in our culture. March 2022 saw her get a number two hit after she was sampled on the H song Baby, the less of which said, the better. This is Ashanti taking on a more serious set of lyrical themes. The song is about abusive relationships, both being in one and escaping from one. And this was reflected in the music video for the song, which was a so-called mini-movie that addressed the theme of domestic violence. Ashanti said at the time, We wanted to make a short movie that was real, that showed no matter if you're rich or poor, black or white, famous or not, domestic violence can touch your life. To do this, she teamed with a domestic violence charity and five dollars from every mini disc that's right mini disc never forget it's 2003 five dollars from every one of those sold went to domestic violence charities in the u.s where it went to number seven so she did a good thing for domestic violence a good enough thing in fact that she received what her wikipedia calls the lifetime channel achievement award for speaking out against domestic violence hilariously the wikipedia then just says that same year she began dating rapper which obviously was probably not the writer's intention, but does rather link the things. In case you're wondering who else had won a Lifetime Channel Achievement Award, it's an award that barely seems to exist on Google. All I could find was one article in which Chelsea Clinton won one for her work in food banks. And other winners, it says on that article, includes Jessica Chastain, Blake Lively and Audra McDonald, the actress. So Ashanti in esteemed company there for her work on this song, even if it has not been a big hit in the UK. But her biggest hit ever on the UK charts is still to come, so we have not counted out Ashanti just yet. But in a weird coincidence, the next song on our charts literally counted out Ashanti, as we'll explain after we've played it. So here is at 18, a new entry, Fabulous Feet Tamia with Into You. Would you come to me? I can't really explain it. I'm so into you. I really like 
flashing. I would have traded it all in orderly fashion. The villa in Florida, we crashing just off the shore. So, so as I always do when I'm looking up these songs to get a little bit of initial research, look at the Wikipedia page, and this one begins. Into You is the third single from American rapper Fabulous's second studio album, featuring either Ashanti or Tamia. I thought, either? That's an odd phrase. It's certainly in the UK version, Tamia, but was there another version with Ashanti? It seems that the song originally was a duet with Ashanti, but then the founder of her record label, Irv Gotti, then refused to let her film a music video for the song, which led to Fabulous reaching out to Tamia to do a new version. Uh, Ashanti has alleged that this is not the only controlling behaviour that Irv Gotti did towards her. She alleged to BuzzFeed that he would gaslight her, saying, nobody wants to record with you, nobody fucks with you like that. She said, on one hand, he would make me feel like family, 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 and on the other hand, he would tell me nobody even likes you. She then goes on to say, he would not let me come to the studio to record, he was telling everyone not to record with me, and then... When she started dating Nelly, she alleged that he said, you want to be with Nelly? Go sign to his record label. We don't want you. So it seems they had certainly a toxic relationship. This was all in response to claims that Irv Gotti made that he and Ashanti had had a relationship. And among the people who also leapt to Ashanti's defence was her former duet partner, Fat Joe, who basically did the old why you so obsessed with her thing, saying in an Instagram live that when you keep ranting about someone 20 years later, it feels like he's not over the young lady, right? To which Irv Gotti responded in the classic way that people respond to that. It's like, I don't need to get with her because I get with loads of girls all the time, I promise. Yeah, loads of women love me, actually. Or to use his actual words, I get some of the most baddest bitches you will ever see in your life and they not a shanty. Black, white, Latina, I get bad bitches. So good for him, I guess. In case you wondered who Tamia is, she's a Canadian singer who is, let's be honest, a step down from Ashanti. She had one big hit in the US, which was Stranger in My House. It was a number 10 hit in 2001. Got to the lofty heights of 128 on the UK charts. So this is her biggest song on the UK charts by far. And this song got to number four in the US charts, so beating Ashanti, but not launching Tamia into international stardom. And honestly, maybe it is a good thing that Ashanti didn't appear on this record because there would have been a certain irony that she was a champion against domestic violence working with someone who, in 2018, reportedly accepted a plea deal after being arrested for domestic violence offences. The better out of that, the better. This was all in the future, though. Enemy called this one of their singles of the week, saying this is an absolutely fucking brilliant single in every way, shape and form. A slow pulse covered in neck-licking sex syrup Fab is so laid back that he's practically standing on his head, but you'd better not cross him, ladies. Oh, no. Any dude with you, he better be kin to you now. I ain't jealous. It's the principle now. I'm so into you. He mutters with breathtaking sang-froid, magnificently, menacingly mellow. What's interesting about this review in Enemy is it is in the single section and it is next to Enemy's first review of the song Mr. Brightside by The Killers, a song that is the herpes of the modern UK Top 40 because it just will not go away. Despite only spending one week in the top 10 and one week in the top 20, it has spent a total of 385 weeks in the top 100, Mr Brightside. That's over seven years. This very week, as I record this on Halloween, it is at number 54 in the chart. Who says the UK Top 40 was broken by streaming? But we will not get to talk about Mr Brightside, thank goodness, for a while, because proper release on a major label would not come until June 2004. And so we can come out of our cage and do just fine then. But for now, we're moving on. Number 17, the second baby boy on our charts, Beyonce featuring Sean Paul with Baby Boy, down from 11 in its third week. Yes, no, hurt me so good, baby. Oh, I 
And at number 16, the British Beyonce, who in one of their stories this week, fake showbiz news called Dame Rachel Stevens. I've been calling Rachel Stevens Dame Rachel Stevens since my student radio show back in 2013. And I've called her that a number of times on this show, which makes me think that hopefully the people behind Fake Showbiz News are listening, which would be amazing because they are doing godlike genius work. So shout out to you guys if you're listening. Email us at the 2000schartshow at gmail.com if you are. But for now, Dame Rachel Stevens, Sweet Dreams My LAX, down from 10 in its sixth week. Fifteen, our next new entry. Last week we had David Guetta make his first appearance on the chart, and here we have another producer who's going to dominate music in a few years. But for now, is at number fifteen. This is Ooh Wee by Mark Ronson. of Mark Ronson's 11 UK top 40s as a solo artist, although he has only got to number one once with Uptown Funk, his duet with Bruno Mars. Although I'm reading here that Fleur East's version of that on The X Factor was so good that it actually physically removed that version from existence. So I guess he didn't have that number one. Yeah, okay, mum, I need to go, bye. However, he did also have three number twos with Stop Me, his collaboration with Daniel Merriweather, his version of Valerie with Amy Winehouse, which was completely inescapable at that time. And more recently, Nothing Breaks Like a Heart, his 2018 duet with Miley Cyrus. At this point, though, Mark Ronson is better known as a DJ than as a producer, but a well-connected celebrity DJ. He had been in a the world of music from a young age because his stepfather was a guitarist named Mick Jones, not the Mick Jones from The Clash, but Mick Jones from the band Foreigner, best known for their song that I've completely forgotten the name of now. Oh, I want to know what love is. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me, and indeed, remind me what it's called. He has, of course, continued being very well connected as a celebrity. He is married to an actress named Grace Gummer, which does mean that his mother-in-law now is a little-known actress called Meryl Streep. Hi, I'm Meryl Streep, and this is Mamie and Gracie Gummer, and we're from Salisbury, Connecticut. We'd like to say good morning, America. Oh, God. But before he was the son-in-law of Meryl, he was, as I said, an in-demand celebrity DJ. He, at this point, had DJed at Jennifer Lopez's birthday party and also apparently was given $100 by P. Diddy to play one record at a party. And he would continue being a DJ for a few more years, obviously getting a number 15 hit, not really enough to sustain yourself. And most famously, he would DJ at Tom Cruise's wedding to Katie Holmes on the 18th of November 2006. I got really drunk, and something about when I'm DJing, I don't realize I'm, I'm 
drunk, so I keep drinking. And then the minute the music stops, it's just like I started spinning, so I, so I threw up all over the castle. <gasps> like, I, I mean, I got outside the castle, but it was like we got in the car for three minutes, and I was like, a, it was in the Italian countryside. It was very disrespectful. I'm sorry, Tom. <laughs> That's amazing. Sounds like it was a great wedding, though. It was an amazing one, yeah. actually. And it was just like all like, like I was mixing like Tom, Top Gun themes with things, and he was like shooting the guns at me, and like it was like a cool. Oh my god, I love that. So Tom Cruise, P Diddy, and J Lo count themselves as Mark Ronson fans, but Brian Dowling, the Tom Cruise of Britain, in one specific way, read between the lines there, gave it three Dowling heads in Smash Hits and said, "This reminds me of J Lo's Jenny from the Block." Um, nope, everyone else liked except me. It sounds like a harder male version of J Lo. It's the kind of thing that's good to dance to at a party, but not something I'd buy. Smash Hits says, "Clean out your ears, Brian. This is a slice." of brilliance who are we to argue with smash hits but as i said he had to keep djing because not only did he not make any money from this song because it's only a number 15 hit but also because he had to give away pretty much all of the publishing rights in fact more than all of the publishing rights he says that he owns quote minus 25 percent of this song this is what he said in his apple tv show because he had to give 100 percent of the publishing rights to boney m whose song sunny he sampled in it and then he had to give 25 additional percentage points to dennis coffee whose drum break he used which means that he somehow has to give 125 percent of the profits of this song to them luckily there probably weren't that many profits to go around but it was a big enough success that it meant that Mark Ronson moved back to Britain after having lived in New York since childhood. And this was pretty much the best thing he ever did for his career because he would end up working with Lily Allen, Adele, and then Amy Winehouse, whose Back to Black he produced and which got him his first Grammy. He has since won seven Grammys, two Brit Awards, and an Oscar for being one of the writers of Lady Gaga's Shallow. But old habits die hard with Mark Ronson because even his biggest fit Uptown Funk there was a copyright claim against it which had to be settled out of court so Mark Ronson really got a knack for not making any money out of some of his biggest songs but I'm not worried for Mark Ronson's bank balance somehow so that's Mark Ronson at 15 we won't get to speak to him about him again until he comes back with Stop Me on the 14th of April 2007 so goodbye to Mark Ronson for now and hello to Two artists beginning with the letter D at 14, White Flag by Dido, down from 12 in its eighth week, and at 13 in its fifth week, down from nine, The Darkness with I Believe in a Thing Called Love. yourselves mm, the darkness were a lot of fun but oh there's got to be more to life and it's so funny that you say that because stacy orico agrees with you and she is at number 12 with a new entry one of my favorite songs of 2003 if not of all time stacy orico there's got to be more to life
Genuinely, when I speak about the great pop travesties of the UK charts in the 2000s, There's Gotta Be More to Life by Stacey Orico, only getting to number 12, is right up there. It may be the worst. This song should have been absolutely massive. This is the Where Is The Love by the Black Eyed Peas that we needed, but unfortunately we got the one we deserved, which was the Black Eyed Peas. We weren't the only country to sleep on it however the only countries in which it got into the top five was new zealand where it got to number three and norway where it got to number two so the n countries coming through there for us it also got to number five in the u.s christian song chart a remnant of the fact that stacy orico started as a gospel singer who is the child of missionaries same as Daniel and Natasha Bedingfield, by the way. And let's say out of the vaguely Christian songs of 2003, give me There's Got to Be More to Life any day over Never Gonna Leave Your Side by Daniel Bedingfield. Or in fact, the other vaguely Christian songs of the time, like Bring Me to Life by Evanescence, which famously was quite controversial and got controversially stripped from Christian music stores in the US. And in fact, was it this vaguely Christian message that led to this song not doing well? I think it's partly that and also partly the fact that it's very Britney coded, very Christina coded. It could have easily been on Baby One More Time or the first Christina Aguilera album, which is a problem because those albums at this point are four years in the distance. So it clearly was not connecting with the zeitgeist when Christina Aguilera had moved on to Dirty and Britney had moved on to I'm a Slave for You. This is something that Brian Dowling mentions in his four Dowling head review in Smash Hits. I quite liked her first single and this is better. The video is wicked. There's a lot of solo girls out there though, especially with Britney and Kylie coming back on the scene. But this is good and you can dance to it. And Smash Hit said, Stacey snuck into the charts with her debut and she'll make much more noise this time. Uh, wrong. Guess again. Insert Family Fortunes uh uh-uh sound here. (coughs) Smash Hits, however, did bestow us with an interview with Stacey Orico in which she was asked, would you eat a live cockroach for a thousand pounds? And she says, for a thousand bucks? I assume that's what she sounds like. Yeah, I probably would. I've eaten a lot worse. Growing up, we lived in the Ukraine. We once ate rat meat by accident. This is true. Stacey Orico did indeed live in Ukraine. When she was seven, her parents' missionary work took them to the country, where apparently young Stacey helped tend to tuberculosis-stricken orphans at a local hospital and lived in a compound that had no hot water. She said, at the time, we took freezing cold showers. It was so cold that when you put your head under the water, it would give you a headache. And apparently this experience taught her that no matter what a person's background is, no matter what language they speak, there are common bonds between people, certain things that we can all relate to. Like, of course, the feeling of there's got to be more to life. Truly, they should have connected with everyone. Obviously, in 2003, everyone, we hadn't had the recession yet, so everyone felt they had jobs that had value and that were well paid you release there's got to be more to life in the era of uber it's going to make an absolute killing by the way all of those quotes from sesiarko are apparently from a press release so i don't know why they felt a need to send out a press release detailing her growing up in ukraine but they did apparently the press pr in 2003 a very different beast than it is today apparently she moved to denver in the united states after a year in Ukraine. Whoever wrote the There's Got to Be More to Life Wikipedia page had incredible insight into this song. Are you ready for this? You're about to have your mind blown by this profundity. Okay, There's Got to Be More to Life conveys a message about a person wanting more from their life. Wow. Who could have worked that out from the song whose title was There's Got to Be More to Life? Thank you so much, Wikipedia writer, for that piece of trivia. So Stacey Arco here at her peak creatively, if not commercially. Of course, her last song stuck got into the top 10. She will have three more UK top 40 singles, but unfortunately she will never again hit the top 20 until my campaign to get There's Got to Be More to Life re-released into the ennui-stricken 2023 ends with her getting a number one. So look out for that. But for now, she is stuck at number 12, which of course means that we are one place away from the top 10 from 20 years ago. What is just missing? 
the top 10 this week. It is in its second week on the chart, down from five, PIMP by 50 Cent. Catch a date and come and pay the kid. Look, baby, this is simple, you can't see. You're fucking with me, you're fucking with a PIMP. I don't know what you heard about me. Put a bitch can't get a dollar out of me. No Cadillac, no perms, you can't see. Then I'm a motherfucking PIMP. I don't know what you heard about me. What a bitch can't get a dollar out of me. No Cadillac, no perms, you can't see. What does that mean for the top 10? Well, it means we have new singles from Blue, Liberty X, Fat Man Scoop, Hilary Duff and Obi Trice, as well as returning songs from Sugar Babes, Jamelia, Kevin Little and the Black Eyed Peas. And this week's number 10 in its second week, down from six, Maybe by Emma Bunton. Duff is at number Yesterday by Hilary Duff. New entry at nine. At the time, the ING music critic said the song is like bubblegum ice cream, smooth and sweet at first listen, but the flavour eventually wears off, leaving somewhat generic pop anthems that will most likely be forgotten by the throngs of young girl worshippers as they age along with Duff. Aha, ING music critic, but you forgot about the gays who never forget a maudlin ballad from a girly. This is from one of my favourite musical genres, which is weary breakup anthems sung by American girl singers. And in that genre, it is right there among its best, alongside Leave Get Out by Jojo, and of course Stuck by the aforementioned Stacey Orico. These are the songs, songs that us young gay kids used to sing to ourselves in the mirror, pretending that we were going through dramatic breakups, when in fact, few of us would date for many, many years. This song inadvertently highlights everything that's wrong with the US charts. So it got to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 single sales chart, but only number 42 on the general Billboard Hot 100, which combines sales and radio play, which is why that chart is complete bullshit, because obviously radio play depends on a few elite people deciding on how much they're going to play a song. Whereas singles chart it's pure. The amount of people in the public who buy it, it charts that way. You can't you can't buy the public in the way you can buy a radio station. It's much better. So basically, this is why this isn't the 2000s chart show US edition. What else was Hillary Duff doing in 2003? 
Apart from giving the young gays everything they wanted, well, of course, she starred in the iconic Lizzie McGuire movie and alongside Malcolm in the Middle star Frankie Muniz in the spy film Agent Cody Banks. We're the CIA. We spent $10 million training this kid and we did not teach him how to talk to women. Do you... I... I was... What a freak. Now, I'm not saying there was a massive step down between Agent Cody Banks's one and two, but while Agent Cody Banks one had Hilary Duff, the second one had Hannah Spirit from S Club. They're going to need some backup. And British intelligence. You wonder all the malls are empty. They got all you kids working undercover. Now, I'm not saying that's a massive step down, except, of course, I am. Fun fact about the Agent Cody Banks films, by the way, Madonna was an executive producer on both of them. So there you go. Now you know that. So Lizzie McGuire movie in 2003 and the show Lizzie Maguire would go on until February 2004, although clearly at this point in 2003, Hilary Duff had finished filming it and was looking to become a more adult-orientated pop star. Side note about Lizzie Maguire. Anyone else's sexual awakening Gordo from Lizzie Maguire? Just me? Okay, fine. Did it work, the effort to make Hilary Duff a adult-orientated pop star? Well, not really. She had another. She has another four UK top 40s, including an- another top 10, which is a quiet banger, which we'll get into in a few years. But not really, she never quite makes it as a pop star. And now, in 2023, she's in the How I Met Your Mother spin-off, How I Met Your Father. So, I guess, good for her. Brian Dowling, however, was having none of it. He says, she annoys me. Too many girls have tried this look and sound. It's so yesterday, like the song. We've seen it and heard it all before. Just because she's an actress and can sing a bit, she thinks she can be a pop star. She should stick to acting. Smash It says, that's a bit harsh, but it's a big bad word out there. And after all, Britta's is on her way back. So things do not look good for Hilary Duff. She's even being beaten by a pretty little-known rapper here in the charts, although he did have big backing from Eminem because at number eight, here is Got Some Teeth, Obi Trice. Yeah. Pull it to the side and invite to cheers. Pull up a chair, nigga swear, no drama. Prepare for a player who working with a monster. I ain't got time to waste. Let's vacate the place, shed blinds and drapes. Grind to your face in the grimy state. Concentrate, you will find that you're bound to gain. What we found was fake. Can watch two incredible mates masturbate why settle away let's escalate to the nearest super agent to your rivers on the mirrors and this mirror booty cheeks come on this is my favorite song let's sing along with it not to brag but i've also got some teeth and i don't write a bloody song about it i've got like 30 of them or however many teeth you have so get over it obi trice by the way obi trice despite not sounding like a real name is obi trice's real name he is obi trice the third which means there have been now three generations of his family that were like yeah obi trice that's a name so good for them he was signed by Eminem in the year 2000, but this is his first single. The song is about his various encounters with women in, at bars, apparently. It's, think of it as Mambo Number no. 5 if it was misogynist. First he has Veronica, he offers her sex acts outside of a bar, but she turns it down. He thinks about going with someone called Karen, but unfortunately, according to him, she, she has a sexually transmitted disease and many children with various men, so that doesn't do it for him. But then he, and he ultimately turns it down because she has breast implants. He then leaves the bar. There's a group of women making fun of him, so he fires at them with a gun. Seems very chill. And then the last verse is all about how much he hates obese women. So the name of the song, Got Some Teeth, by the way, comes from the line, if I leave here tonight and I fall asleep and wake up, hopefully she got some teeth. So basically he's getting so drunk that he doesn't notice whether a woman is wearing dentures or not. It's lovely, 
lovely sentiment. So he got to number eight with this, but this would be his only top 10 hit. He would have one more song that got to number 32 before his third single could not get into the top 40. In June 2008, Obi Trice would leave Eminem's record company Shady Records due to a concern, apparently, that he was not being promoted properly, which, sure, you weren't being promoted properly, but also you were releasing songs like Got Some Teeth, so you can't, you know, you can't polish a turd and you can't sell one either. I guess you can sell one to somebody who's looking for manure but let's not get into the economy of feces right now Eminem however did try his best to get people to buy got some teeth he pulled what enemy called a Willy Wonka stunt where three lucky recipients of golden tickets founding copies of Obi Trice's album got to hang with Eminem when he lays some dope grooves in the studio that's quotes from the press release I'm not saying dope grooves in the studio just naturally enemy said of this song Eminem's the producer here replaying his own without me and adding a load of sound effects that could have been taped off the Cartoon Network Obi seems to be having an excellent time but prospective partners be aware he likes non-fat girls with their own teeth and no VD, the little charmer. So yeah, very much an artist that a big star tries to get off the ground and kind of fails. In that way, he's very much the rap Jonathan Wilkes, the flatmate of Robbie Williams that he desperately tried to turn into a thing. So the difference between them, of course, is that Jonathan Wilkes now owns a performing arts studio in Swindon, which to my knowledge, Obi Trice does not, although it would be fun if he set up a rival performing arts studio in Swindon. I can see the ITV show now. So now Obi Trice is at number eight beating him in the chart in its sixth week in the top 10 doing incredibly well Jamelia with Superstar us with just three new entries we have jump in by liberty x be faithful by fat man scoop and guilty by blue one of them is at number six this week new entry and here it is Jump in, J-U-M-P-I-N, apostrophe. Where has that G gone? Well, it's turned around and turned into a number six. And that is where they are in the charts. Yep, sure. This makes Jump In the first Liberty X single not to get into the top five since doing it. Their second single got to number 14 in December 2001. Although they will manage to have one more top five hit before they stop being a chart concern by 2006. But for now, they're still flying high as one of Britain's, I was going to say Britain's greatest pop bands, but one of Britain's pop bands. That's all we can say about Liberty X. They were living a fun life though. Apparently their album launch after party left them with a £3,000 bar bill. And that's 2003 prices. So that's a lot of Bacardi Breezers. And they were all over the music press still being pushed hard by their record label. In Smash Hits, they were asked, what would you never ever eat? And Tony from Liberty X said, Dolphin. I went to Barbados for a holiday and on the last evening there, there was a big dinner where the only choice was Dolphin. I just couldn't eat it. So good for Tony. Michelle Liberty X meanwhile had to 
give an embarrassing story for Smash Hits. He said, I accidentally flashed my knickers at the X-Men 2 premiere. A photographer managed to get a picture up my skirt. He caught me just as I was getting out of a cab and I was being so careful. It just shows how careful you have to be. Photographers are always trying to put their cameras up girls' skirts. It's really embarrassing, particularly if you're wearing frumpy underwear. Ah, yes, the upskirt photo, a scourge of 2000s era paparazzi that is now actually illegal to do so in some ways culture has got better since 2003 smash it's also asked them whether they regretted not getting into hearsay which seeing as hearsay had broken up by this point i can imagine they were thanking their lucky stars kelly sticking the knife in says when hearsay split up we were in mauritius by the pool drinking cocktails our manager came downstairs and said guess what hearsay have split up i just tutted oh dear and ordered another cocktail yes kelly of course kelly knows her way around a flop band however because she is married to one of Triple Eight. Newsround also asked them about their new song, Jumpin'. They said, Jumpin' is more edgy. Is that your new musical direction? To which Tony replied, we don't necessarily plan a distinct direction for our singles on our music. We just go into the studio and write loads of songs. And Jumpin' we chose as a single because it just worked well on the tour and it's the kind of song we want to sing. We don't really have a master plan. Interesting there, saying you go into the studio and write a load of songs. Do you write a load of songs, Liberty X? Because you certainly did not write Jumpin'. Which was written by Charlie Russell, Mike Pedden, and Lucy Silvers, who will have her own attempt at being a pop star in October 2004, in which she managed, I would say, officially one good song. If it's not what you made of, you're not what I'm looking for. You were willing but unable to give me any more. She is, by the way, still an in-demand country singer-songwriter although she hasn't really had a hit in the UK since she wrote Will Young's song Who Am I, a hit in 2006. To give Liberty X some credit though, they did write a few songs on being somebody, but noticeably they weren't allowed anywhere near any of the singles. It's only album tracks for the Liberty X writing team. But they didn't have any time to write songs because they were too busy just promoting themselves non-stop. This interview with Newsround really does highlight the effort you had to put in to be a British pop star in 2003. They were asked, you only get two days off a month. What do you do on those days? And Kelly says, it's weird actually because we only just started this two days off a month rule. It only just came into play in September and I looked at the diary yesterday, by the way, and we don't have a day off until after Christmas. That's a lot of work to be in Liberty X, which doesn't feel like it would be that exciting. But they at least had one fan in Brian Dowling who gave it five stars, possibly because it may be the gayest song that is released on this week's Top 40. This is a fantastic track. He says, Liberty X are amazing and the video is great too. These guys have worked damn hard and they deserve all their success. I think they don't get enough credit. I can't wait for the new album. They've reinvented their sound and it's good. Good enough to get to number six. Just behind last week's number one, Hole in the Head by Sugar Babes, which means that this week we're going to have a new number one. Either Fat Man Scoop or Blue will be the number one this time 20 years ago. Hole in the Head by Sugar Babes is so good is because it's written by who else? Xenomania, the people who made Girls Aloud what they were. And so were the Sound of the Future that at this point they were working on both the Sugar Babes and Girls Aloud songs. 
truly dominating the pinnacle of British naughty's pop. According to the officials chart, Hole in the Head is the sixth biggest selling Sugar Babe song of all time, which actually makes it the second worst selling Sugar Babe's number one and the sixth best selling Sugar Babe song of all time. Their lowest selling number one, Walk This Way, their collaboration with Girls Aloud, where a male iconically says the words, I took a big chance at the high school dance, like she's Camilla Parker Bowles. By the way, the songs that beat Hole in the Head as the biggest selling Sugar Babe songs are at five, round round at four, three like me at three two lost in you which will be a single for them later in 2003 at two push the button and their biggest selling song of all time the song that is the finale of all their live dates now about you now by the way pretty amazing that two lost in you is at number three there since it only ever got to number 10 but my god did it feel like it was everywhere in 2003 when love actually came out but we will talk about that in a few months time for now this former number one is at number five and it's even being beaten by the song that it took off the top of the charts at number four where is the love by the black eyed peas in its 10th week on the chart so gravitate to the love y'all that leaves us with just Kevin Little, Fat Man Scoop and Blue still to go and very excitingly at number three in its second week, Kevin Little's Turn Me On. Blue and Fat Man Scoop are fighting out for number one. Who has got that all-important top spot? Well, let's get Wes to count us down to number two. Hiya, I'm Wes, and here is this week's official Top of Pops Top 20. 20's brand new, Ian Vandal, I Can't Let You Go. 19's new, Ashanti, Rain On Me. New at 18, Fabulous, featuring Tamia, Into You. 17's Beyonce, Baby Boy. 16's Rachel Stevens, Sweet Dreams, My LAX. Mar Ronson's brand new at 15, Ooh Wee. Dido, White Flag at 14. 13, The Darkness, I Believe in a Thing Called Love. 12 is brand new, Stacey Oricote, There's Gotta Be More To Life. 50 Cent at 11, P.I.M.P. At number 10, Emma Maybe. Brand new at 9, Hilary Duff and So Yesterday. New at 8 is Obi Trice and Got Some Teeth. At 7, Jamelia, Superstar. New at 6, Liberty X, Jumping. Sugar Babes holding the heads at 5. At 4, The Black Eyed Peas, Where Is The Love? Kevin Little's at 3, Turn Me On. And Blues at 2, New with Guilty. Tell the truth, what am I supposed to do? All I want to do is speak my mind. It's wrong to do what's right I'm prepared to testify Loving you with all my heart's cry Then I'm guilty That's right, if getting to number two in the UK singles charts was a crime, then Blue are guilty. So this is the highest selling of the lead singles from Blue's albums, but this was not enough to get it to number one. I like to think of this song as a secret sequel to the song All Rise. Of course, that song 
everyone's favourite song that compares being in love to a legal trial. And now, in this song, they have been found guilty. They should have done a third song to complete the trilogy called Custodial Sentence, but unfortunately they didn't. Although that is exactly the kind of mad shit that Blue might have done, because if the 2003 pop magazines were full of anything, it was stories of how mad Lee Ryan was. Total Pops called him the maddest person in pop, beating Daniel Benningfield to the spot. They say whether it's his mad comments about whales and dolphins or his claims that he'd like to snog an alien, Lee's almost dominated the headlines. And recently his arrest for drink driving has got him into even more trouble. He was even caught kissing his dad's ex-girlfriend at his dad's wedding. Bandmate Ant admits, I've known Lee for years and believe me, he's a nutter. What exactly did he say about whales and dolphins? I wonder if that's made it onto the internet. So here's what he said about whales and dolphins. Apparently it was related to the September 11th attacks in 2001. Asked about the attacks, he said in a interview, what about whales? They are ignoring animals that are more important. Animals need saving and that's more important. This New York thing is being blown out of proportion. Who gives a fuck about New York when elephants are being killed? He was of course forced to issue an apology for that and had to donate the royalties for his next single with Blue to the Twin Towers Fund. And very unfortunately for him, the next single ended up being If You Come Back which what ended up being their first number one single. So Lee making a bad financial decision there by saying that the death of whales were more important than what happened in 9-11. He went on to explain this when he was on Celebrity Big Brother. He said, I said, fuck New York. Think about the elephants, the whales, the dolphins. And the sun said that I said, who gives a fuck about New York? I never said that. I said, fuck New York. That's not actually differently. Why can't you as a newspaper talk about how there's tigers nearly extinct when you don't talk about shit that's actually going to help the world instead of talking about shit that's going to promote a fucking war? So there you go. He would also say of these words at the time, I'm not good with words and I get mixed up. And certainly he would giving a whole array of mixed up quotes at this point. He told another reporter, for example, that he likes to wet the bed to stay warm, leading the blue press people, maybe the hardest working press people in the land, to have to tell... Top of the Pops magazine, Lee was only joking when he said that. At least I find it very hard to believe he was being serious, but you never know. Lee Ryan, a fascinating character. And so if he had the reputation for being a little eccentric, shall we say, in interviews at this point, Duncan James had a reputation for being a bit of a womanizer, which is ironic because because we now consider him much more of a gay icon since he came out as bisexual and has been in a long term relationship with a man. But certainly this was from no want of trying and sleeping with various women. At this point, there was a rumour going round that he was in love with the much-missed celebrity socialite Tara Palmer Tonkinson, but that she refused to date him because he was a commoner. The press people said of that, no, that's not true. Duncan and Tara are very good friends and have set up a TV production company called Meltdown TV together. They're joint MDs, so they're both very committed, and when you see snaps of them out and about, they've probably just had a business meeting. Just check if Meltdown TV is still going. This way you find out that he's made a million pounds from inventing Love Island or something, isn't it? Somehow I feel that's unlikely. Nope, doesn't seem to be anything about it online, so who knows what happened to that. He was also caught snogging pretty much every 2003 pop girly. He has snogged Michelle from Liberty X, a model named Janine Boozy, Katie Price, Suzanne from Hearsay, and the Saturday show presenter Danny Bear. Katie Price said of him, he was a little over eager, his kisses were so wet, it was like I was snogging my dog. So Blue, certainly, always a messy band, although I'm looking forward to seeing Anthony from Blue in Mamma Mia the Party, which he really is doing. That wasn't a joke. He is definitely in that poster, and it is fairly close to where I live, so I might have to check it out. But none of this was enough to get them to the number one spot taken by Fat Man Scoop with his song, Be Faithful. Enemy says this song features an excitable DJ on the verge of a coronary. It pretty much sums up 
Fat Man Scoots be faithful. By the way, Family Fortune style, if you got 100 people in the room and played them this song and asked them what it was called, none of them would tell you it was called Be Faithful. A song that had been going around the underground club scene in America for five years at this point when Fat Man Scoop had been working as a hip-hop producer, club DJ and radio DJ. Fat Man Scoop, by the way, the performing name of Isaac Freeman III, a American rapper, hype man, promoter and radio personality famed for his onstage rough, raw, loud voice. The reason it took so long to get into the charts apparently is because of the amount of samples that it features. Apparently his stage name, and this is actually quite cute, came from when he was a baby. Apparently he loved ice cream, so his uncle called him Fat Man Scoop. Fat Man Scoop, of course, managed to maintain a little bit of fame in the UK by appearing in Celebrity Big Brother, where he was evicted third in the 2015 season, where he was joined by fellow 2003 era pop star Natasha from Atomic Kitten, who managed to get third place. Whereas the winner of that, of course, was James Hill from The Apprentice of a season of Big Brother that I think is perhaps the low point of not being able to get any actual celebrities. In 2003, however, Fat Man Scoop doing quite well, selling 62,500 copies of Be Faithful to get to number one. A respectable number, but will it be enough to get him a second week at the top spot? Or will Mark Owen, Kim Marsh, Holly Valance, Pink or Atomic Kitten be able to stop Fat Man Scoop from getting a second week at number one? We will find out next week, but for now, that is all you are getting of 2003 goodness. If you know anyone who you think would enjoy this deep dive into the weird world of the British music charts 20 years ago, please recommend it to them. Any positive reviews you can give to us on any podcast platform really help us get discovered, which is amazing. You can follow us on Twitter for as long as it lasts at 2000 Chart Show, at Instagram at the 2000 Chart Show, email us at the 2000 Chart Show at gmail.com. But for now, this week's number one. If you've got short hair, put your hands up. If you've got long hair, make noise. If you've got a cunty little bob, you're exactly the kind of listener that we want. Be faithful. Fat Man Scoop. See you next week. All the good looking women sing along. I can't hear Pictures presents. Now this is gonna hurt.